Today, um, today we're in our final week of our, our study on Elijah, who was a prophet of God and a man of God. But before we go there, I think we should you know, make a, a quick pass through Proverbs. Today being 17th, I chose verse 22. A happy heart is like good medicine, but a broken spirit drains your strength. So if you have your Bible, you could turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. Today we're going to talk about depression in the life of a man of God. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, he had just had one of the greatest victories ever on Mount Carmel. We talked about that last time. And immediately after that, he starts into what is a very, very, very low point for him in his life. So if you have your Bible, good. Turn to First Kings 19. If not, we're going to help you out and put it up on the wall. Follow along starting in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. Now remember, Ahab, God described him as being more evil in God's eyes than all of the kings who had come before him. This guy was the worst of the worst. He was just just bad. And uh, now, after all of these failed confrontations with the God of, of um, with Jehovah God and the God of Elijah, he's starting to wimp out. So he says to his his wife, Jezebel, who was also really, 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 really evil. He says, I can't handle it. I'm just done. You take care of it. So she steps up. So now we got Jezebel stepping in, verse, verse uh, 2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not, I, I do not make your life like one of them. Now, the them she's referring to are the 450 prophets of Baal that had all been killed. Okay, so she's angry that all of her, the prophets she, she was rooting for are all gone, and she's now threatening the life of Elijah. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Huh? I mean, what? I mean, kind of, that's a big, you know, it's, a, it's pretty, pretty confusing that that would be his response when you think bad, back to everything that God had done. I mean, if you, if you review everything that the Lord had been, been doing, it just makes you pause. I mean, the king, the king had been turning all the people's hearts away from the Lord, getting them to worship the false gods of Baal and Asherah. And so he out of nowhere calls this guy named Elijah from Tishbite. Tishbe, and, and, he conf- and he says, I'm going to send you. And so he, he goes and he confronts Ahab, and he says, it's not going to rain. There's going to be a drought, and everything you depend on to run the economy, because it was an agricultural economy, everything that you, you depend on is going to dry up. And in fact, he was assaulting the, god, the false god Baal, whose one of his name was the god of, of rain and dew. And he's saying, there's not going to be any rain, there's not going to be any dew, and, and it's not going to change until the Lord tells me to pray again for rain. And sure enough, there was an absolutely devastating drought. It went on for years. And while that's going on, God takes Elijah to a place called the Kareth Ravine, which literally means a place of cutting or humbling. And um, he's there, and he's, he's humbled by the Lord. And what the Lord is doing is he's humbling Elijah, and he's building him into a man of God and a man of faith. And, and all kinds of things start happening. God miraculous, miraculously provides for Elijah there. He has ravens bring him meat and bread. That's how he gets fed every day. They show up with his hamburger, right? I mean, imagine that. You have nothing. You're in the wilderness, and birds show up, and they bring you. I mean, this is like Disney, right? They, 
They bring you food and they, you know, and there's no water anywhere. So God says, okay, a nice, cool, bubbling brook will, will do fine. So he's got all the cool, fresh water he wants and food comes because birds bring it to him. He's got, he's kind of living pretty, pretty good uh, apart from being uh, isolated and alone. And uh, that happens for a long time. And then God wants to move him to a new place. So he, he dries up the, the provision and the plan that, that Elijah thought was how he was going to be provided for. He sends him off to this, this place over 100 miles away. And God says, go find this, this widow. She's going to take care of you. He finds her. She's destitute and poor. She's got nothing. She's got enough flour and enough oil to make one more meal for herself and her son, and then they're going to die. They're going to starve to death. That's the plan. And God's sending Elijah to her, and she's the one that's going to feed him. Doesn't make sense, but there's faith. Faith steps in, and somehow they continue to eat, and the flour never runs out, and the oil never runs out, and another miraculous thing. Then the son dies. This widow's son dies, and Elijah now is becoming a man of greater faith, and he does something that you don't see recorded anywhere in Scripture before this moment. He takes this son, and he prays over him, and he says, Lord, would you put his soul back in there? Raises him from the dead. I mean, some pretty cool stuff going on here, right? Pretty, pretty major things. And then God says, okay, now pray for the rain to come back. And after three and a half years of absolute drought, he prays, rain comes. Pretty amazing stuff. We pray for the rain to stop. But it doesn't. Where is your faith? <laughs> right where mine is. And anyway, he prays. The rain stops. The rain comes back. People come back to life. The pizza doesn't run out. I mean, it's pretty cool stuff going on. And then he has this huge showdown. He says, let's find out if your gods are God or my God is really God, and we'll have a big contest. So they made two, two big sacrifices, two bulls, and the, the prophets of the false gods of Baal danced and sing and cut themselves and did all kinds of things, and the fire would not come down from heaven, and it wouldn't burn. And now you can see God's sense of humor because he starts, you know, Elijah kind of starts to prod them. He starts talking smack with them. He says, well, maybe your God is busy. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's, you know, but if you study that word out, busy, it really means maybe he's going to the bathroom. And, and so, I mean, he's cut carving in here pretty good. And of course, nothing happens. Then Elijah, you know, says, put some water on there, drench it, fill it with water. It's, let's make it impossible to burn. And then he says, God, show yourself. Bam, down it comes fire. It consumes everything. Not just the sacrifice, but the dirt and the water. But it doesn't singe a single person. God's aim is perfect. The concept of God putting fire down on, on people who displease him is completely Hollywood. It's not the loving heart of God. He, his aim is perfect. And he, another miracle. So here's this guy who has all of these things in his recent past. Jezebel says, I'm coming after you. And <laughs> I mean... Miracle after miracle after miracle, and he wigs out. He freaks out. He's thinking, oh, I'm, I'm, I don't know what, to, and he runs for his life. He runs. Off. So I want to just pick from this, and we'll start today by talking about four easy ways to get depressed, okay? In case you didn't know how, I think we should take a look at four easy ways to get depressed. Okay, so First Kings verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 3. Let's pick up in verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left a servant there, and while he, him, while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Man, 
He's had all these big victories, and now he's saying, I give up. It's just crazy. Um, I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. So how do you get depressed in four easy steps? Step one, wear yourself out. Wear yourself out. That's the first, first and easy step. I mean, over the past few years, he'd had this massive spiritual battle that had been going on. He'd been seeking God and praying and seeking God and praying, and he'd been trusting God and, in his faith, and yet something scared him so bad at this point that he runs for his life. Now, geographically, he couldn't have run any further south in the kingdom of Judah that he got. He, drew, he went as far as he could go. It was over 100 miles. He gets to a certain place, and then he says, okay, to his buddy, you stay here. Then he runs another day's journey out into the wilderness, out into the desert. He went as far as he could. He was totally and physically exhausted, much like many of you. You wonder, I think sometimes, you know, we wonder, why am I so depressed? Well, you've worn yourself out, you know. We have moms working a full-time job and you have to take care of the house and have dinner on the table and you're carting the kids all over the place and you're in the PTA and is there still P- and there's a PTA and you go to church and, you do, and you're wondering, why am I feeling so depressed? Or maybe you just got off of some sort of a killer project at work or at school and uh, you're working way over a normal schedule ought to be, it seems like, and yet your boss still wants even more. And you're wondering, why am I so depressed? And the answer could be, you're just worn out. And some of you, it's not physical exertion. It's up here. I mean, you say to yourself, I've got to make sure. I've got to be the covering. I've, I've got to be strong for everybody. I've got to be the provider. I've got to nurture them. And it's all this stuff going on up here and you're totally exhausted and you've worn yourself out. So step one, you wear yourself out. Step two is you shut people out. And that's exactly what Elijah did. He abandoned his absolute closest friend and he says, you know, his servant, you stay here and I'm going to go on by myself. And that's exactly what, you know, many times or maybe even most times a lot of us do when we get overwhelmed. You know, we say, I'm not going to let you in. I'm not going to tell you what's going on because even if I did, you wouldn't understand it anyway. So we kind of wall people off and we push them away. I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand. It's a crazy thing that, that we do. Maybe you don't do it, but I do it. I mean, we do it. Because I'm a pastor, I probably have had more opportunities to do this than you have, but there have been a lot of times in the last 25, 30 years where I've, spent time with people as they were with a family member or a friend or someone they care about who was approaching glory, you know, as they were getting ready to die and, and just hanging with a family and helping them work through that process. I've done it lots of times, and, um, and uh, I've had some interesting experiences. I, at least I had one experience where um, we were walk, working with this, just spending time with ministering with this couple, and he was dying, and... Uh, uh, he eventually got to the place where they started hospice, which, you know, so he's in the home now, and uh, one day the hospice nurses say to the wife, you know, this is it. It's, it's time you should, you, you know, you're, you're, you're down to minutes or hours. 
And so we got word, and of course, we hopped in the car, and we headed to um, be with this couple. And in the car, we get a phone call from, from the wife. Oh, you don't need to bother. You don't need to take your time to come. I'm fine. And we said, fine, okay, we understand. We'll be there in about 10 minutes. <laughs> don't care what you say, we're coming. But I mean, it, it just, I hate to say it, but, but you know, even for me, I mean, sometimes when I'm worn out, when I'm hurting, I just put walls up. I just do. I just put walls up. I say to myself, I'm going to deal with this myself. You wouldn't understand anyway, probably. Um, and I just kind of st- start to stiff arm people. You know, you know what that is. That's a football thing where... And, you know, so if you want to get depressed, the first thing you do is you wear yourself out. The second thing is you shut people out. Third thing you do is you focus on the negative. Exactly what our hero, this man of God, this man of faith did. He says, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. No, nobody was asking him if he's any better than his ancestors. But in his mind, this self-pity thing kind of started to take over. And you know what self-pity does? It exaggerates. It does, doesn't it? It exaggerates, you know. I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm, I'm always going to be stuck in this life. I'm, my life's never going to get any better. Uh, I'm never going to get the promotion. I'm, my kids are never going to come to Christ. After this ice cream, I'm never going to fit in these jeans again. <laughs> Don't care. I like ice cream. <laughs> ice cream jeans. Ice cream. It's this exaggeration, this focus on the negative. It's, it's all of the bad things and none of the good things. And here it is in Scripture. If you're looking to get depressed, you know, you wear yourselves out, you shut others out, and then you focus on the negative. And the fourth thing you do is you forget God. It's exactly what a lot of us do. Then we picture this. So, so after all that God has done in the life of Elijah, he's had supernatural provision, you know, ravens and this protection and raising people from the dead and fire from heaven and oh god you're not going to deliver me i mean it's like it's exactly what we do sometimes god's life god's his work is evident in our lives and when i look back for me for terry at the faithfulness of god in my life he was there he came through he cares But in this moment, when I'm depressed and I'm kind of down, I just kind of forget about the faithfulness of God. I'm not proud of that. It just just happens. So how to get depressed in four easy steps. You wear yourself out. You shut people out. You focus on the negative and you forget God. But I think that we should stop talking about that and maybe instead look at the answer because, frankly, I think that is a word that many people here today need to hear. And... I think there are people here, and, and uh, I was probably positioned in my heart, I know I was positioned in my heart before I got here today to expect the Lord is going to minister here because the Lord may be speaking directly to you. You know, maybe you're a little bit blue. Maybe you're full-blown depressed. Maybe you just have reached this place of hopelessness. And the good news is, is that God wants to speak directly to you today. I really, really believe that. And as we 
continue reading through this passage, we're going to find God's prescription for our depression. Now, Elijah doesn't have any hope. He's hiding. He's in depression. And then God sends this angel to him. And what we need to notice first off is what the angel does not say to Elijah. Because it's, it's interesting what he doesn't say. God sends him, now there's no sermon. There's no rebuke. There's no shame. The angel's not saying, if you only had more faith. He's not saying, if you could only quote more scriptures. If you could o-, he's not saying that. He's not saying, oh, if you could only stop being such a baby. He's not saying any of those things. What the angel is saying is this. One, God says to eat and rest. The very first part of our prescription for, dis- for depression is God says to eat and rest. I can do that. Hey, I can do that. Um, starting in verse 5, all at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. How cool is that? God doesn't somehow require some major issue of our character and willpower. He nurtures. And he says, eat this and rest a little bit. I mean, how many times as a little guy, I can't really say, did my mother know I was discouraged about something? I had a bad day at school or something like that. And out of nowhere, and Lisa does this occasionally too, out of nowhere, hot cookies and milk. Eat and rest. It's an act of God. (laughs) Especially when they're chocolate chip cookies. Or chess pie. Which is a secret little... Yeah, okay. So... (laughs) But how tender of the Lord. His first objective isn't what he can obtain from you. It's what he can do for you. And he knows you have physical need. And he knows you're worn out. And he knows you like the cook. Have this hot, you know how good hot baked bread is? It's really good. And there it is, hot baked bread and some cool, refreshing water. Man, today, I I love this about God. And we we adopt this philosophy around here because we believe that food is the grease of ministry. And so today, potatoes after, after church, it's God's will. Potatoes, baked potatoes. There are 125 hot baked potatoes. Come on, they're free. Have some, eat and rest, okay, today. He ate and drank and then lay down again, eat and rest. Now, I, I have known over the years, and I've ministered in partnership with um, professionally trained counselors. And uh, so I've had, you know, you can't, you can't take the pastor out of a pastor and you can't take the counselor out of a counselor. And if you hang out with them long enough, they start counseling you, right? You don't, okay, maybe you've never experienced that, but I have, I've, I've, there have been several and I believe they have something to offer people, you know, and they're wise and they're trained and they see things about you sometimes you can't see in yourself. And I had one time and he says to me, hey, Terry, I think you really need to acknowledge that you are in the very early stages of burnout, I remember thinking, well, you know, whatever. Because the reality is, I've got a lot of things that I have to do for God. <laughs> and he was saying, you know, but hold on a minute. You need to take some real time off. You need to decompress. You need to just have some time where you're not under the weight of this ministry stuff you do. And um, 
I went on and I said, yeah, yeah, but I've got these things I got to do for God. And I went down my list. I got this, 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 this person, da, 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 da. And, you know, he said, Terry, you're not hearing me. The most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Wow, that really impacted me. For some of you, the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Not another small group, not another project, not another sports tent, not, not even another Bible verse. Rest may be the most spiritual thing you could do. And I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think that maybe this is one of the most disobeyed of God's commandments, this issue of rest, right? God says, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, and yet we just kind of shake that off, and I'm guilty of this, and... Um, Perhaps the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is rest. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, but I've got this to do and I've got that and I've got this and I've got that. But I would believe, and I, I do believe that, some, that sometimes God will say to you, I get all that, but it doesn't really matter if the clothes are dirty. It doesn't really matter if the lawn isn't mowed. It doesn't really matter if a few things sometimes go undone. Maybe the most important, maybe the most spiritual thing you could do is rest. So the angel of the Lord provides food and lets him take a nap. Let's continue, verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord came back for a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Now check this out. Strengthened by that food, and certainly by the rest, he traveled 40 days, and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, most scholars believe that this is another name for the same mountain where the Lord, where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. God sends him to this place. He's basically saying, I'm going to paraphrase here, eat, rest, and go to church. Eat, rest, and go to the place where you will experience God. God's prescription for depression, eat, rest, and go to the place where you'll, where you'll experience God. He says, he says, eat and rest. And then when you're in the place where he is, number two, God replaces our lies with his, with his truth. And this is going to speak to some of you. God replaces our lies with his truth. He replaces the lies that we're believing with his truth. Verse 9. Then he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, let's just you know, acknowledge right up front, God already knew why Elijah was there, right? This is not God trying to gain information. But he asks him the question. Why is he asking him the question? I believe God wants Elijah to voice the lies he's believing out loud so that God can replace them with the truth. That's what I think is going on here. It's just my thinking. Verse 10. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. True. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. True. Broken down your altars. True. And put your prophets to death with the sword. Also true. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me True, too. False. I'm the only one left. False. I've been doing all the work. False. I'm the only one who cares. False. 
I'm the only one who can get it done. False. He owned more responsibility than was his to carry. And he had done what God had asked him to do. And he thought, because he had done that, that he was supposed to do everything. <laughs> no one cares like me. You know, everybody's depending on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. And if you read on, you find out God tells him, he says, hey, hey, Elijah, really? Truthfully? There are 7,000 others who have not bowed down to worship these false prophets. There are 7,000 others who still seek me and pray. 7,000 others. God's saying to him, don't believe the lie that you are the only one. Don't believe it. And I, I can only imagine what God would say to many of us in this room today when we believe the lies, you know. Oh, my marriage can never, never, ever be healed. It's a lie. It's a lie. With God, all things are possible. Oh, my kids are never, ever going to come back to Christ. That's a lie. With faith as small as a mustard seed, God can make the mountain be removed. Oh, I've got this medical report, and the doctor says, I've got 30 days. Is anything too big for God? And, and so many of us just really believe the lies. My ne- life's never going to be any better. I'm going to be alone all my life. I'm going to be stuck in this dead-end job. I'm never going to get this promotion. I'm always going to feel alone. My husband's never going to believe. All these things. God wants to take every single one of those lies, each one, and replace it with truth. Replace it with truth. He tells us that we're to take every thought captive and make them obedient to Christ. You'll see that in 2 Corinthians. So, where are you right now? You know, if some of you were to speak out loud verbally, I'm not asking you to do that, what you might say might be one of those kinds of lies. You know, I'm always going to be depressed. God would say, that's not actually the whole truth. There are 7,000 others. There are believers all around you. There are other people who care. There are other people who will comfort you. Don't believe the lies. So God's prescription for depression, rest, take some time off, and two, replace the lies that you're believing with God's truth. The third thing that God does is that God speaks in a still, small voice. God says, eat and rest, replace the lies with truth, and then God speaks in a still, small voice. Elijah is used to dealing with a God who shows himself through miraculous fire and miraculous provision and raising from the dead. I mean, some things that shout pretty loud. That's what he's used to. He probably thinks God's going to show up next in some big old earthquake or something, right? Okay, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Sometimes when we are at our absolute lowest, God seems to speak the softest. And sometimes it's just a word. Maybe not much, maybe not loud, but it's always exactly enough. A gentle whisper, not a booming sign, which God certainly is capable of, and we've seen it, 
but just a voice. And here's what I take so much comfort in today as I consider this, this really serious subject. Because I know that there are people hearing this that are hurting today. And I don't find any confidence at all that you're going to find some sort of comfort in any of the words that I say up here. But I know that through in the middle of these words, between these words, behind these words, above and below these words, the Holy Spirit is whispering things to your soul. God can and he will speak to you and he's doing it right this moment. If you listen closely enough, you just may hear that still, small voice. I'm here. I'm with you. You're not alone. Tomorrow is going to be different than today. I have a plan. I know how I think about you. It's about your future and about your hope. I'm enough. The still, small voice of the Lord. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is rest. Other times you need to capture those lies and let the Lord replace them with truth. Other times you listen and God will speak. The fourth thing that God does is he gives us something to do. To overcome depression, God gives us that divine assignment. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. In other words, go back to doing what a prophet does. In other words, go back to doing what I shaped you to be. And I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to many of you today. There is still something yet for you to do. There is something for you to do. You feel down, blue, you feel hopeless, you feel unsure, you feel you've lost your confidence, and you don't see necessarily that there's something for you to do. And God says, if you're alive, there's still something for you to be doing. If you're still here, it's because there's something. Go back to doing what prophets do. And many of you say, well, I'm not a prophet. Well, what are you? If you're a mom, go back to doing what moms do. If you're a business person, go back to doing what business people do. If you're a person of prayer, go back to praying. If you're a person with the gift of serving, go back and serve somebody. If you have the gift gift of giving, then go give something to somebody. Go back and do what God called you to do and watch what happens as he brings back life and and fans that flame again. God says, go back and do what prophets do. God gives him this gift. It's pretty profound. He gives him someone who believes in him, a younger friend, a guy named Elisha. We've been talking about Elijah. Then we find the guy who follows him, his name is Elisha. That's always confused me. Here's how you remember. J becomes before S. Elijah comes before Elisha. Right, But God gives him this gift. God gives him this gift. Elisha comes along and they start doing together the things that prophets do. And this younger guy says to himself, and then he says to Elijah, you know what? I want what you have. I want that kind of anointing on my life. In fact, I want double what you have. That's pretty bold. Elijah looks back at him and says, okay, tell you what. If you stay with me, 
and you're with me when I'm caught, when I go, you'll get it. You've got to be diligent. You'll have to stick with me. You'll have to stay with me. If you do these things, then you'll get it. Now, ask yourself, what was it that Elijah feared the most? I think the answer is dying. Remember, he had all kinds of things going on in his life, and um, Jezebel says, if tomorrow I haven't killed you, then it's going to be on me because I'm coming after you. And what does he do after all these miracles? He runs because he's afraid of dying. He runs for his life. His greatest fear, though, was something that he never experienced. He's one of only two people listed in the Word of God who didn't die. Anybody know who the other one was? Enoch. Wow. Whoever said that points, way to go. Student of the Word. Love it. He never died. Scripture says that the Lord descended in a whirlwind, and it was a chariot that carried him. He didn't die. His biggest fear... He never had to face. When you think of your greatest fear, the thing that maybe consumes you, your biggest, what if this happens? For many of you, you will never ever experience it because God will lift you above it somehow. He will. And I don't want to stand up here and preach to you that everything's going to be easy, everything's going to be cool, everything's going to be smooth because we're going to have trouble. Those are Jesus' words. He said, you know, you'll have trouble. Let me quote that for you. You will have trouble. But he went on, he said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Even if your greatest what if comes to pass, he'll be with you and he'll be enough. I find so much comfort in seeing this absolute, wonderful God, this man of God, man of faith, face the same kinds of challenges that you and I do. He was an everyday guy. God says, go eat and have some rest. Find his presence, and in his presence, he'll replace those lies you're believing with his truth. Listen to his still, small voice. Go back and do what I created you to do. Now, I want to pray over this, and I will pray, pray with you as we bring the service to a close, but I just want to also remind you, if you weren't here last week, we have started a ministry now where we have people available who will pray with you one-on-one privately after service for whatever reason, and I don't have a... They will be wearing a name tag like this. They won't all say, my name is Angela. But these are people that we know and um, who, who love to pray, care about you, and they're available specifically so that if you want prayer. And here's what you do. Um, there's a little hallway over here and three classrooms, and the middle classroom is open. It's got chairs in it, and there will be several people in there that just want to pray with you. It's safe. Nothing weird will happen, I promise. But if you'd like someone to pray with you, that's available to you after service, after every service from now, and they'll be there. So I want to pray pray with you right now and just remind you that if you want one-on-one, that's available as well. Lord, we ask you in this holy moment that your spirit would speak to us exactly what we need. For, For those people here that are hurting or lacking hope or maybe even depressed, God, I pray that just as you spoke to Elijah, that you would speak to each one of us. 
For those of us, Lord, that are overwhelmed and overburdened, Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to be obedient to rest. That can be so hard sometimes to just take our foot off the throttle because it feels like we're letting somebody down. It feels like we're being lazy. It just... But Lord, your word says that there's times that we just need to do that. Lord, when you, those that you're speaking that to, help us to be courage, to be obedient, that we would rightly respond to a holy God on that. I pray, Lord, that we would not believe lies, that you would help us by exposing them within our heart, help us to see the things that we're thinking are true that aren't, and then, God, we give you the free reign to replace them with your truth. Help us to take our thoughts captive, Lord, making them obedient to your spirit. And God, as you speak in a still, small voice. Help us to somehow tune down on the noise so we can hear you and then that we would maybe go and do what it is that prophets do. Sometimes something outside of ourselves, Lord, for your glory, for your namesake. Thank you, God, that you are the joy, the lifter of our heads. Thank you, Lord, that scripture promises us that joy comes in the morning. May you fully have your way with us, God. And Lord, while we pray, I know there are people hearing this who may not have a relationship with you. Church, keep praying for just a moment. If you've never settled peacefully with God concerning eternity, it's important that you do this. When our days on this earth end, the chances go, they're gone. And eternity rests on this decision. God loves us so much that he looked at us and said, this is a lost world, a dying world. These people are hopeless. They'll never, ever attain heaven. They can't be holy enough. They're always messing up. How will I solve this? I love them so much. I can't let this happen. And he chose to pay the price by sending his son. Scripture says there is no way to the Father except by Jesus. So if you're planning any other path, if you're planning to be nice, and hope that at the last minute that somehow the balance of weights and measures will come into play, that the problem will be that your, that your goodness will never overcome your sin. And Jesus says, all who call on Jesus' name will be saved. And that's what it takes, relationship with the Son. If you've never opened your heart and said, I need to get square with God, I need to settle issue with, about eternity, I need to be right with my Creator, The word says that if you believe that with your heart and confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. I'm going to pray and look across the room. If you've never, ever made that decision and you want to do that, I'm not asking you to talk out loud, but just agreeing with someone is is declaring it. Then I will just want to pray with you. So as I look and you want to open your heart to the Lord, just look at me and tell me. Tell me that's why you're looking and I want to pray with you. Is that why you're, you're okay? Any others?